now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. Welcome to the Force 5 Podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie or TV-themed top five list, and then we talk about those picks on air. I'm your host, Jason Kleberg, and today I've got two awesome guests, Scott Barber and Adam Sweeney, co-directors of the outstanding new documentary, The Orange Years, The Nickelodeon Story. How's it going, gentlemen? We're both going to talk at the same time. It's it's great. It's uh, it's it's a great time. It's a holiday season. Uh, we're excited that the movie is out, uh, and we're very excited that we get to be on the Force Five. So thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Thanks for coming on. I was so excited when I saw the trailer and that orange Nickelodeon logo popped up. I was so worried that there would be scandals or things that would make me look back and and say like, yikes! I can't believe I watched that network, but. This documentary is really fun and it's a really uplifting look at a network that was like seminal for so many people's childhoods, especially in the generation I grew up in. And it's very much about just trying things out, like seeing what worked for kids instead of force feeding us stuff we didn't want or like producing TV shows just to get us to buy toys. Super grateful that you made this documentary, loved it. And we're going to talk more in depth about that in a little bit. But why don't you tell people about which topic you chose for uh, for the show today? What are we talking about on Force 5? So we're going to talk about the top five underrated Nickelodeon shows. You know, everybody always wants, what are your what are your top five Nickelodeon shows? And you know, there's those Pete and Pete, Are You Afraid of the Dark, that, that of course are amazing and wonderful. But we kind of wanted to give some love to some shows that we think kind of get overlooked in the bigger Nickelodeon picture. I had fun researching this because most of my favorite shows, just like you, are those shows that everybody knows about. And and diving back in and finding out those maybe underseen or underrated ones was really fun for me. But first, we're going to talk about what we have been watching. So I've watched a couple things this week. I want to talk about one in particular, and it has nothing to do with Nickelodeon and nothing to do with cartoons, but it does have a lot to do with 1994 and that was Charlie Sheen's Terminal Velocity. We used to joke about it, didn't we? About some student hitting the dirt and digging in like Wile E. Coyote. I don't think we'll be joking about it anymore. It's like a great high, right? Let me guess, first time. What happened, man? How'd she get away from you? I hooked her in! Like I've done thousands of times! I'm here to determine whether manslaughter charges should be brought against you and Chris Morrow's death. You're kidding. What are you buzzing me for? What took you so long? Are you certain this is the same woman who was in the plane with you? I just want you to see that she's come back from the dead. You have five seconds to tell me where the cylinder is. One. You gotta be kidding me. Two. Four. What happened to three? Shoot. That's broken. The safety's on, you idiot. 
You swallowed the worm. I was trying to swallow all sorts of things. Careful, I may just have to marry you. What is going on here? Why don't you tell me who you are? <laughs> Any of you gentlemen seen Terminal Velocity? I don't think that I have. I am very aware of of the the film. Uh, I I was just thinking about Charlie Sheen's arrival or the arrival. Yeah, um, but no, I, I, it's so weird. It's just speaking on Charlie Sheen in general, really quickly, and uh, I know that I'm sure you have a lot to say to say about about him in general. But it's interesting how he has been able to uh, transcend so many different uh, genres. And the barriers, uh, you know, he did Major League, he did Wall Street, obviously Terminal Velocity, The Wraith, The Arrival, Two and a Half Men. I, I don't know many other actors that have been able to successfully uh, launch careers in all of those genres. He was all over the place in the early 90s. This one has possibly the most bonkers plot line of any Charlie Sheen project and that's saying a lot because he's been on a lot of weird stuff. But the selling point is this logline right here. An Olympic gymnast turned skydiving instructor slash stripper teams up with a KGB agent in order to stop terrorists who are interested in gold bullion and Cadillacs. It doesn't get much better than that. Now I try to find something great in every movie that I watch because everything is going to mean something different to somebody. And if I could say one really good thing about Terminal Velocity, it's the climactic action scene, which feels like a precursor to the more crazier Fast and Furious movies. Picture a red Cadillac falling out of the back of a plane with the driver having to get out of the car and unlock somebody from the trunk in midair. It's bonkers. Not a great movie. I did have a good time with it. <laughs> I will say that if you can find this for 10 bucks or less, it's going to be a really fun watch with some friends while you're having a beer once the world opens back up or you're sitting far apart and wearing masks. But it's not one that I would seek out. I did have a really good time with it. Charlie Sheen seemed like he was doing kind of like a, his hotshot stick, but in a more serious movie, like he didn't know what movie he was in. And then James Gandolfini is in there, who is amazing as always, but he's playing it super straight faced alongside Shooter McGavin from uh, Happy Gilmore, who's just always a 12 out of 10 on the acting scale. If you can find it at a low price, watch it with friends. You'll have a good time. And the climactic action scene is just crazy good. So that's what I've been watching lately. Uh, we'll move over to Scott. Scott, what, uh, what have you seen lately that you want to talk about? Well, you know, uh, like a lot of people, you know, I had a great Thanksgiving, uh, maybe not with, uh, not the way I wanted to spend it, but you know, we got to make do. So, uh, I watched, you know, really one of the only Thanksgiving movies that's out there and that's planes, trains, and automobiles. During holiday travel, some people get delirious, some get delayed. And some get <laughs> Del Griffin. American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger. So instead of Thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. <laughs> Two happy clams just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, they're the Martonic family. Paramount Pictures presents... Will my 
Steve Martin. You ever been to Hawaii? Yeah. You see Don Ho while you were there? See the second show, that's the best one. Is that right? Yeah. John Candy. Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. In a new film by John Hughes. Planes, trains, and automobiles. See that Bears game last week? Yeah, hell of a game, hell of a game. I'm sure a lot of people probably did that as well, but I, I just, I love that movie. I think it's a great, like I said, I think it's one of the only Thanksgiving movies I can really think of. Uh, but it's also, I think, just a, a great movie. Uh, I, I really love John Hughes, but I always feel like the John Hughes movies that I like aren't the quote unquote John Hughes movies. You know, uh, when people say they love John Hughes, I feel like it's always like the, the teen romance comedies, but I love the, the other ones that aren't that <laughs> those are always my favorite. And I just think that's like as close as you can get to like that type of movie being perfect. You know, the editing and everything about that is, is, is just wonderful. Um, and I just found out that there's this whole climactic scene that happens, uh, you know, spoiler alert, when you find out, you know, the truth about John Candy's family, they have this really emotional scene, um, Steve Martin, that, that never made it in the film. And I think that's kind of oh crazy that, yeah, that like the, that, that someone had the guts to look at the climax of this film and go, you know what, uh, we got to cut this. It's not necessary. Because when, when you watch that film, it doesn't feel like it's, it's missing anything even though the, there, there are multiple scenes that are uh, cut from it that I kind of, I just watched a YouTube video that's like the, it's called, you can check it out. It's called like the planes and train, planes, trains and automobiles version we never got. And uh, it's crazy what they cut from that. You know, and Adam and I have talked about this a lot. You know, sometimes you got to, when you're writing a script or working on a documentary, sometimes you got to cut things that mean a lot to you, but you have to have the guts to say, uh, you know, it can go. <laughs> And yeah. uh, I just think that, that that's such a brilliant film. I think Steve Martin and John Candy just act their asses off in that film. Uh, the soundtrack, everything about it. The fact that they could have got a, 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 like, a, like a PG rating except for that one scene in the airport where, where Steve <laughs> Martin drops like 30 F-bombs. And that's just so genius. Uh, and I just love that movie. I think it's one of the definitive buddy comedies uh, out there. And, and I, I watch it every year at Thanksgiving with my wife and we watched it again. And I just, I just love that movie. That's true. There aren't really many Thanksgiving movies. I can only really think of that Thanksgiving and then uh, <laughs> Blood Rage from 1987. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. I think it was made based on the fake trailer from Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez's Grindhouse. Okay. Yeah, n not not great. And then Blood Rage <laughs> from 1987, which is one of those crazy gory slasher movies just happens to take place on Thanksgiving. But other than those two, I can't think of any other ones aside, of, obviously, from Planes, Trains and Automobiles that takes place on Thanksgiving. So good call there. Uh, Adam, what else? What else? What, what have you been watching lately? You know, I saw Blood Rage last week for the first time, <laughs> oh, uh, nice. which is just just an absolute amazing film and, you know, just a celebration. Looks like you're going to get a chance to meet the rest of the family. My psychotic brother just escaped. Just don't want to spoil things. Anybody else need more turkey? No, I'm pretty good, thanks. I don't like to talk about my brother. He gives me nightmares. I mean, this Thanksgiving. You know, somebody ought to tell him to get inside. Nobody should be out with my brother around. He looked exactly like Terry, except he had this really wild, crazed look in his eyes. There's somebody after me and he's chasing me and he's trying to hurt me. You're going to hurt my kitty. 
real sweetheart. You know that? A real sweetheart. It's not cranberry sauce, Artie. It's not cranberry sauce. I would say maybe if there's something, a film that you should pair back to back with plane, trains, and automobiles, it, probably Blood Rage is the one. Yeah. <laughs> probably. I mean, it depends on, you know, what you're in the mood for. Uh, I love the fact that Ted Raimi, and I won't talk about this one very much, uh, but, you know, Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother, uh, plays, he's credited as condom salesman. So, uh, you know, he started out hot uh, in his career, and uh, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> um, but I finished, I just finished, uh, and I'm late to the game, uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor. I know what loss is. Your parents loved you so, so much. In a way, they'll always be here. I was really, uh, really happy with it. And uh, I just appreciate Mike Flanagan and that entire team for everything they do the fact that in a way uh the hunting of bly manor structurally for without giving anything away for anyone who hasn't seen it is very similar to the first one uh even in how they bookend the the story i think that he does such a good job of finding a way to flesh out and enrich classic stories and I'm hoping, and I assume that there's going to be a third one, but I thought that it was a very, a very bittersweet uh, story. And I love that he can tell a ghost story that also has very romantic uh, and loving elements when it comes to family. Good call. I haven't seen that one yet. It is on my list. I, I love Mike Flanagan. I think he's one of the best newer horror directors around. Uh, Dr. Sleep, like how do you follow up The Shining? And he was able to do that with Dr. Sleep. He's done a couple of really great uh, Stephen King adaptations. So I'm, I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I would definitely, definitely recommend. And uh, many members of the original cast from Haunting of Bly Manor came back for this uh, series. And uh, while I have an appreciation for American Horror Story, uh, and I love, you know, Jessica Lange and Sarah Paulson and a lot of the other actors. I think that the overall story for this one and the way that it's handled uh, just is a lot smoother. And for me, ultimately more satisfying. I'm excited to check that out. Something I was also excited to check out and what everybody should be excited to check out is the Orange Years. Obviously, both of you are huge Nickelodeon fans. And before we get into the list, I just kind of want to pick your brains on your relationship with Nickelodeon itself. So we'll start with Scott. When did you start getting into Nickelodeon? And when did you maybe grow out of it? Like, I think that most people can have a show that brought them in and then a show maybe that was like the last one that they watched before mm. they were kind of out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Nickelodeon definitely um, meant a lot to both Adam and I, both in our lives, just on our own and, and also, uh, in our friendship together. And he can talk uh, a lot uh, more about that. 
Uh, it's a it's a pretty cool story. But you know, Nickelodeon, as far as just me and my personal life, um, my family got cable around 1985. I can remember it was a big deal. We got this big, huge, gaudy box. <laughs> you know, that's what we called it, the box, and it, it gave yeah. us all these other channels. And my brother was super pumped to have um, MTV. And, uh, and I was super excited to get Nickelodeon. <laughs> and I can remember one of the first shows I watched on there was Today's Special. And uh, I can remember uh, it would say Today's Special is, and it would just, it would, they wouldn't tell you. They would just kind of show it. And, and I, I couldn't read. I was, I was four years old. Uh, and then I remember the next, the, the second season when I was watching it, I could read it. So the first season, my mom kind of had to tell me what it was. Like, today's special surprise, you know. And then the next year, I was like, oh, I can read it. And I felt really proud of myself, really grown up. <laughs> uh, but then I remember, you know, You Can't Do That on Television was one I found out at about the same time. And that really had a profound impact on me because You Can't Do It on Television was like kind of like Monty Python. Some people say it's like Saturday Night Live for kids. But I really feel like all that is more like Saturday Night Live for kids. And all that was more like Monty Python for kids. And it was very naughty. Like the, the, the humor on there is kind of insane what they could get away with, which Nickelodeon would, would, would continue that vibe for the next you know, 20 years, doing things that like way later with Ren and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, so You Can't Do It on Television, I think, is the first show that really clicked. Today's special was the first show I remember watching, but You Can't Do It on Television was the first show. I was like, man, this is awesome. I just loved everything about it. And then I think that all that, it's funny because it's two variety shows. The, the show All That, I think, uh, when it came out, I watched like the first season and I was kind of like, I, I thought it was awesome. And it was cool to see kids my own age uh, that were on like a, a, like a variety show, like a Saturday Night Live style show. But I also knew that I was, I could feel myself being like growing out of Nickelodeon. You know, I knew I was the writing was on the wall and, 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 and that part of my life was kind of coming to a close and I was getting more into music, you know, more like rock and roll and punk rock and stuff like that. And so I would say, yeah, you can't do it on television was the first that really caught me. And then all that was the, sh the kind of the last one, which is kind of funny that they're kind of similar shows, you know, they're both sketch comedies, but uh, yeah, that was it. I, I mean, just like Scott, I grew up on the on Nickelodeon. It really did shape so much of, of my childhood. I remember seeing You Can't Do It on Television to a degree, but having no idea what what was going on at all. I, I do remember thinking it was hilarious that the children were like handcuffed, you know, and that they were like put into these most extreme things like being in front of a firing squad over and over. And I always thought it was hilarious that the uh, that the uh, you know, the executioner or whatever, the general was generally the one that would end up getting yeah, about to be shot and then they would cut away. Uh, and, uh, you know, Double Dare obviously was very formative. I still think that Double Dare, you know, I don't know how long Wipeout or any of shows that have been like, you know, uh, overseas were made, but that just will probably go down as, if not the best, one of the best game shows of all time. Uh, I still want to do a physical challenge uh, and and go through the ob obstacle course, which is going to happen. We're determined to do it. And then, you know, I, I still watch Are You Afraid of the Dark all the time and the, you know, the adventures of Pete and Pete. And those are the ones that stuck with me. And it was such a perfect time because that was right around the time. I mean, there, you know, those stories, even Are You Afraid of the Dark, are about adolescence and growing up and being part of a community 
uh, and peers of your same age. And those were things that I think, you know, Scott and I both were dealing with around that time. It was interesting because we were probably around the, you know, in between little Pete and big Pete, as far as age goes. And so it hit at a perfect time and Nickelodeon will always have a special place, uh, and a continuing, uh, special place and a evolving, um, space in, in my heart. I am also determined to one day run through the physical challenge. I think that Double Dare is one of those shows that every kid fantasizes about being on, even if the prizes were Space Camp or a telescope or a year's supply of Hershey's syrup, which (laughs) (laughs) as an adult, now you realize a year's supply of Hershey's syrup is really probably just one big bottle from Costco. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of like still on the bucket list of things to do dig through the nose and find the flag oh yeah i've always wanted to go through like through the teeth and then that little ringer you know that seemed like that would be the toughest one is the ringer because it seems like it's kind of pushing against you while you're trying to get in there you know but yeah i think you're right i think that a year's worth of i mean what would a year's worth of hershey syrup really mean other than they probably got paid a lot of money to from Hershey to be able to do that you know like they would have been like you're gonna get all of the Hershey's candies including an unlimited supply of all the Hershey's miniatures then we're talking but like you can only do so much with chocolate syrup yeah (laughs) yeah which is also weird that they were pushing Hershey's chocolate stuff when you couldn't do other candy related things in other shows yeah (laughs) but uh cool I'm I'm glad that you were able to share that with me. I think we have very similar stories with Nickelodeon. I came in to Nickelodeon at around the same time, and it sounds like I kind of grew out of it around that same time. So I'm hoping that we can highlight some really cool underrated shows. I watched the, I put my list together before I watched the documentary, and then I watched the documentary, and I thought a couple of my picks did not make the documentary, which I thought was cool because I can highlight them. A few, I was actually surprised to see them in the documentary. So I was like, well, I guess if listeners want more, watch The Orange Years and you'll get uh, more about those programs that I'm highlighting. We tried to show as many shows as we could, even if they maybe didn't get their own little segment where they were fully featured. We tried to find clever ways to, to show as many shows as we could. So, you know, yeah, it might not get its own like five minute section, but hopefully you at least get to see all the shows that you, you know, love and remember. Yeah, it was it was a really good watch. It has all the old like uh, TV bumpers and stuff, which was man, that was a throwback. Uh, just seeing all those all those bumpers. They were so wild. Yeah, they were like, just insane. But we're going to talk about some underrated Nickelodeon shows. We've got five. I've got five. You guys have come with five. Um, let's get to your number five. What's your number five on your list of most underrated Nickelodeon shows? Okay, so our number five is Wienerville. Hi, I'm Mark Wiener. Watch Nickelodeon Wienerville. It's filled with lots of me, Dottie, the real personality of the show, cartoons, and me making a mess. There are a lot of different cartoons. Which kids are we going to Wienerize today? It's Sunday afternoons filled with cartoons. And those guys, I hate when they whine. <laughs> Watch Nickelodeon Wienerville every Sunday starting at 2-1 Central right here on Nickelodeon. 
So the basic premise of Wienerville was you had Mark Wiener, who was a, a comedian at the time, who just would kind of be in these weird costumes where it was kind of like his head and then like a little tiny body. Uh, and he had a live studio audience that watched him. So it did kind of have that old school kids like Howdy Doody <laughs> with the peanut gallery uh, vibe. And his humor was very like off-putting, <laughs> like he was very abrasive. He had a little dinosaur called Boney that wanted to be left alone. They would go, I'm Boney, I'm Boney, leave me alone. So it was just this show where he was very much, uh, yeah, abrasive. I want to compare him to Gilbert Gottfried almost in a way. He didn't have that voice, but it was just very much like he seemed like he was trying to annoy you. And it was genius. Like when you go back and you watch it, like the, the, the effects and stuff that he did, they were all practical effects. It was a really awesome show, but I also get why maybe it didn't last <laughs> and why it maybe didn't stay in the hearts of, of, of people. Yeah. And Randy, there were so many, that, I mean, I think Scott, you nailed it. It was, it was really, really obnoxious. Like there was one puppet I remember named Randy who would just go over and his whole goal was just to kick, like basically kick Mark in the crotch, like <laughs> over and over or like in his shins. And I just remember it, as a kid, it, I mean, cause you know, when you're a kid, let's be realistic, like half of, half of the game is seeing what you can get away with and also kind of like messing with other people. And so I would just crack up every time you would hear him just kick him and the sound effect would be like, whoosh, whoosh. and that was right. his whole thing. He would just kick him in the butt over and over and over again. And, and a fun fact about Mark Wiener, too, you know, because one thing that we we kind of showcase in the doc is that Nickelodeon was very loyal. Like if you did something good for them once, they'd let you have a second try. You know, like the guy that created the uh, the, the the one of the guys that created the logo worked on Clarissa and then later on got to make his own show called Shelby Woo. And one thing that's funny is Mark Wiener. Yeah, Wienerville maybe wasn't a big success, uh, but. He is a voice on Dora the Explorer to this very day. He plays Swiper the Fox and the oh, wow. map. In the movie, when they just did the Dora movie, uh, Swiper the Fox, uh, was he was replaced by Benicio Del Toro. But uh, he still got to voice the map. So it's pretty cool. Mark Wiener still working for Nickelodeon all these years later. That's crazy. Wienerville is one that I never got into. I always found that show was visual nightmare fuel there there were a couple of those on nickelodeon back in the days like you said it was mark wiener's face just in these almost like cardboard walls with puppets yes. small puppets around them yeah it was it was so weird yeah it probably won't go down as like the favorite of all time which is why it's underrated but i agree with scott i think the fact what he tried to do was remarkable and and it speaks to what nickelodeon allowed the creators to do which is to kind of go into there and cook and come up with their own recipe and if it didn't work out then it didn't work out but at the very least they were taking chances my number five is the first real scripted show on nickelodeon and i was surprised to ah. see this get so much attention but i think so much attention in the documentary but i think that when people think about you know, live action scripted TV shows on Nickelodeon, they think about your Clarissa's, they think about Salute Your Shorts or Alex Mack or Pete and Pete, but often left off those lists 
is Hey Dude. <laughs> hey Dude. It's a little wild and a little strange When you make your home out on the range Start your horse and come along But you can't get it right if you can't hold on Singing Hey Dude, I think, was a really great show. It was about these kids that went to this dude ranch in Arizona for the summer and the hijinks that ensued. And it was bought by this guy from New York and his son, Buddy. And they they don't know anything about ranching, so they're just kind of figuring all of this stuff out together. And I actually didn't realize until I watched The Orange Years that Graham Yost was a writer on that show. Crazy. This is Graham Yost, the same person who writes, who wrote Speed, the same person who wrote the TV show Justified, all these things that I love so much and had no idea that he was also behind one of my favorite shows as a kid, Hey Dude. It was also a really diverse cast. It started this really cool trend with Nickelodeon where they always had really diverse programming. So no matter who you were, you got to envision yourself in this TV show which I thought was great. It also had my my very first crush, uh, <laughs> Kelly Brown as Brad. The, really? Uh, okay. Brad, so you were, a, you were a Brad guy. I was. I was not a Christine Taylor guy or a Melody on the show guy. I was I was team Brad. Okay. All I, right. Awesome. Yeah, I was um, I was team Danny. So no, that's not true. But he was, he was <laughs> amazing. Um, I, I definitely leaned more towards Melody uh scott what about you uh, is it a, oh yeah you, oh yeah christine taylor all, all the way christine taylor yeah i can't blame you for that either she <laughs> is gorgeous and always has been but uh i was a kelly brown dude back then yeah and it was just a really fun show you have all the typical like stereotypes you know you have your ladies man and your kind of doofy camp leader but I always love the show. There's always been a soft spot for me. And that theme song, like it will get stuck in your head. If you go on YouTube, watch the theme song, it will be stuck in your in your craw. It's a little wild and a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we were doing research for the documentary, it's funny you say that because I, I always thought of Hey Dude as like a really big show. But we kind of found that when we would talk to people about it, that yeah, it the, the fan base was much smaller than Salute Your Shorts and Hey Dude and Clarissa. And I think some of that is because it was a little bit older, you know, it came out in 1989. Whereas all every other show, Clarissa, Salute Your Shorts, Pete and Pete getting its official show, Pete and Pete had appeared in other ways, but it was all 1991. 1991 was basically the year for Nickelodeon. It was like when all their live action, original live action and all their animated shows came out. And, uh, and Hey Dude was a couple of years early back in the 80s. And yeah, we found, because Adam and I are that perfect age, sounds like you are too, like right in the middle. So we, we loved Hey Dude, but we were surprised that people that are a little bit younger than us uh, kind of missed it. It was kind of surprising. Yeah, I think if you are one of those people who grew up with Pete and Pete and Clarissa, go back and watch Hey Dude. There's a DVD release of it where you can get everything all in one package. And it's got the same quality. And obviously the writing behind it is fantastic. So Hey Dude, that's my number five. Awesome. Let's move on to your number four. 
Number four, I definitely think this is one that has gone off the ra- gone off the radar. Uh, it was very, very early and has had multiple iterations afterwards as uh, the Tomorrow People. Uh, it's a uh, science fiction television series uh, that was created by Roger Price, who also would go on to create You Can't Do That uh, on television. And so it's it's really interesting because this was way ahead of the time, like young adult fiction by and large, probably with the last 10, 15 years has been all about like dystopian uh, worlds and human evolution. And so this story was about that. It was about uh, the emergence of the human evolution and uh, children that find their ways as they're going into adolescence, uh, breaking out and developing special like abilities such as telekinesis and teleportation. Uh, And it was really cool because it was way ahead of its time. You know, uh, Scott and I are big fans of, you know, of uh, the X-Men and a lot of comic uh, comic books. And even now you see a lot of shows that um, uh, are based on comic books that deal with science fiction. uh, And this one has really stayed under the radar. And I think that it definitely deserves a first look and, you know, even second and third look from a lot of people. Yeah, Tomorrow People was great. And like Adam said, it had two uh, versions. The first version, I was too young to remember. It was before, uh, you know, before the quote unquote orange years. It was an early, early, early Nickelodeon show that they picked up. And like Adam said, it's created by Roger Price, who created You Can't Do That on Television. Like, how crazy is that, that this one dude, this one genius created a, uh, <laughs> a, 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 a quirky Monty Python style show where kids are getting slimed and eating burgers made out of people. And then he also made this really kind of sophisticated sci-fi show. I I got into it with the second one, uh, the 90s version, that had Christian Tessier in it, who was on You Can't Do That on television. And like Adam said, it it really was a lot like the X-Men, where these kids around puberty find out they have these magical powers. And because of that, then, it made me go back and learn about the very early 80s one that had had been on a very early uh, part of Nickelodeon. This is one that I've actually never heard of, but I am excited to dig that out somewhere and, and learn more about it. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah, it's, it's worth a watch. And it has eight seasons. Uh, it, was, it was canceled uh, towards the end of the eighth uh, season because the budget was just way too big. Um, so they were going to do a ninth season because it was influenced right around the time of Star Wars. So uh, you'll definitely get your, your, your money's worth. And... Uh, just an awesome, awesome series. And like, you know, like Scott said, there was a second version that made its way uh, onto, uh, on you know, onto Nickelodeon. And then I believe that they ended up doing one, uh, they adapted one also for the CW. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. All right, cool. I'll check that out. This is one that I think was really beneficial for me as a kid and one that you don't see very often just in TV in general, and that was Nick News. What are computer viruses? A virus is a program that will spread itself, usually with the intent of doing damage. When Michelangelo wiped out many, 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 many computers, mine was one of them. I've had a lot of computer viruses. And how can you avoid them? I have three virus scans, but usually it's normal if you have one, and just everything you get, always scan it. Why is this playground so special? 
Awesome. Awesome. Nick news with, with Linda Ellerby. Yeah. This is, this was the very first news show that was geared towards kids. I used to be this kid that, you know, I would be playing in the front room and my parents would be watching 60 minutes or they'd be watching the five o'clock news or, uh, even sometimes we'd have like MTV news on, but nothing was geared towards me as a kid. And then this comes out in 91, which would have made me around 10 years old, 11 years old. They're tackling actual things that are happening in the news, but in a language with a host that makes kids understand. And the one that I remembered so vividly was the Oklahoma City bombing. They had a special on Nick News about the Oklahoma City bombing and why it happened and the impact that it had. It was so cool to see a news program geared towards me that spoke to me in a language that I could understand and helped me kind of navigate those emotions that you're feeling at that time. And it's something that I don't think has been recreated since, although they have brought back Nick News recently. I think it I think it came back and stopped airing in like 2015, but I love Nick News. They have actually you have a segment on Nick News in the documentary that I completely forgot about. And I don't want to spoil it for viewers, but it's a moment in the documentary that like literally had me in tears watching this documentary like it was so moving and so touching that brought back all those feelings that Nick News gave to me as a kid and now as a parent of a two and a half year old, like seeing this conversation happening in the documentary, it's just like, oh, it broke me. It broke me. It's such a good segment on the documentary and such, just a great program. Nick News. That's my number four. That's really cool. Nick News is something that I think sometimes gets the short end of the stick, uh, you know, in terms of when people think back to uh, Nickelodeon because it wasn't these, zany, you know, Nickelodeon in the 80s and 90s is kind of known for being these zany, kind of uh, off color, kind of tongue in cheek, sexual innuendo laden shows, you know, like Ren and Stimpy and Rocco and stuff like that. And uh, I think Nick News sometimes it, 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 it gets overlooked. And I think in a lot of ways that that show perfectly sums up how cool Nickelodeon was. Uh, so we were really grateful to get to put that part in the movie because I think it'll make people who, you know, maybe don't remember Nick News or like, oh, that's, that's when I'd kind of zone out. I, I, I wanted to see more cartoons and more crazy stuff. I, I think uh, hopefully, we hope it'll make people kind of take a second look and go, wow, that was awesome that we had that. And Linda LRB is amazing. You know, she's just uh, such a, you know, such a, a champion and just like you're saying, <clears throat> the perfect person to, to host that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who had a, a ton of her own own hardships. Right. Uh, I believe if, I, if I'm she, you know, was diagnosed with um, breast cancer. Right. And uh, right around the time that, you know, Nick News was, you know, was was going on and uh, and. She's also from Texas, so we got to give a shout out because uh, Scott and I are from Texas. She's uh, from Bryan, Texas, but she was. It's interesting because especially when you watch in the in the sh in the film, you know, I didn't realize how she finds a way to skirt uh, both the lines of talking as an adult, but also two children. And I appreciate the fact that she never talked down to anybody. Right. And uh, she came from a, a journalistic background. And so that's really cool. That, may, that makes me really happy that that you got that onto your list, because Nick News, 
deserves a lot of credit, as do you know other other programs like Channel One back in the day, uh, and other you know news networks and and platforms that were trying to talk to children uh, in in a way that was very respectful and not condescending. Yeah, she was great. I think in the wrong with the wrong host, that show would have lost all of its power, but. She was fantastic. She was perfect for it. And that show will stick with me forever, that Oklahoma City bombing one and the scene that is in The Orange Years as well. What's uh, what's number three on your most underrated Nickelodeon list? So our number three is a show called Roundhouse. On the set. <laughs> Off the set. Who wants to talk? So I'm the head writer on the show, which means that I represent the writing staff on the basketball court. Oh! Uh -oh. Two nothing, our team. Johnny Slane, bass player. Yeah. But he uh -oh. can't play a ball. Oh, but ask him what the final yeah. score was. What? Be at the Roundhouse Tonight on Nick. And Roundhouse was created by some of the people that had worked on In Living Color. And it was this show that was a variety show, but it, it felt more like sketch comedy meets Broadway in that everything, there weren't really cuts in between the scenes. It was kind of all there. It definitely had a very prominent like studio audience that this was, it really felt like you were watching theater more than watching a show. There were, there were dance numbers, there were musical numbers, there was all sorts of stuff and, and everything kind of came on and off the stage. It had this dad that would always come come in on this motorized chair <laughs> which i think kind of was like a zeitgeist like kind of like a, a sign of the times you know that's kind of how parents or kids at the time thought of their parents is just you know sitting in this chair telling them what to do while telling you to go outside while while they're just sitting in their recliner you know eating <laughs> pork rinds or whatever and watching football uh like adam said we're from texas so maybe different people's dads <laughs> ate different things in different parts of the country <laughs> But uh, Roundhouse was awesome, and I, there's n never been a show like it. I can't think of trying to compare it to anything or saying it's kind of like blank. There's really nothing like it. And it was an awesome show. Those kids were super talented. And also, it was part of SNCC, which everybody remembers SNCC, Saturday Night Nick, where it was geared at older kids, you know, adolescent uh, kids that are almost done with this and are moving into the teenage world. And when SNCC first came out, the majority of shows were just repackaged they took like Ren and Stimpy and Clarissa shows that were already Nickelodeon shows that were that were kind of that they just thought fit that demographic and put it as part of SNCC but there were two shows when SNCC debuted that were created specifically for SNCC one of course was Are You Afraid of the Dark which is everybody's favorite and the other one was Roundhouse so I think it's cool that Roundhouse was one of the original SNCC shows and it was created specifically for SNCC and I love the fact that like Scott and I both have a background in theater and it really touched upon that. And, you know, every single one of the, as every single one of the performers on there just had this like versatile skill set, you know? And so I think that that kind of inspired us to, to go focus on that, you know, and we love sketch comedy and improv. And so like, it was, it was kind of like the precursor to all that really, I think, you know, and so it, it definitely has stayed uh, under the radar, but there are a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, vulture 
AOL, uh, you know, a lot of articles have asked for for a like reprisal of of Roundhouse, and uh, people, you know, were it, it was revolutionary in the time and probably deserved uh, a longer, uh, you know, a longer run on SNCC and Nickelodeon at large. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the one that had like a live band, right? Yeah, yeah, and dancers. I mean, like all the, everybody there was just like, just so talented, you know. And like you said, it was, you know, and even the background of, you know, which which we had to do research about about, you know, the reason that it's called a roundhouse is like, you know, dealing with the idea of getting everything back on track, and then it's also built in the round. It was just really cool. I don't think I ever really got into Roundhouse as much as I did the other Nickelodeon variety shows, but I do remember how unique it was. My number three is the last one that was featured. Well, it's it's my last pick that was featured in the Orange Years. There were a ton of really cool game shows as a kid. Uh, Double Dare, obviously, like we talked about, was top of the heap. You also had shows like um, Legends of the Hidden Temple, which is fantastic, Nickelodeon Guts. But one I think that gets overlooked a bit, which was seminal to me as a kid, was Nick Arcade. Oh my gosh, yes. Put down those joysticks and pause those VCRs because Nickelodeon's got the next level in game shows. Nick Arcade, next. Nick Arcade came out at about the time that I was super into Nintendo and Sega Genesis. And I was all about video games. My brother was all about video games. It's kind of all we did when we weren't outside playing sports. And then we have this Nickelodeon show where kids are in video games. And it was so fun to watch. You watch it now and it feels like, oh, that's not that great. You could see these kids are in front of this blue screen. But when I was younger, this was awesome. And you have these uh, little trivia questions. You have to play video games against somebody to get into certain challenges. It was my dream to be on Nick Arcade. I love this. I love Nick Arcade. They had all these different levels that that people would go through. So no two shows were always the same. Loved it. And they also had challenges where they'd bring in people from other Nickelodeon shows to go against each other on Nick Arcade, which was pretty tight as well. And Phil Moore was a severely underrated, uh, underrated host. He, yeah, he had such energy and he was so cool. Uh, and you know, just like everybody that we had the opportunity to get to meet and interview was just the nicest individual that you all ever meet. Phil Moore is amazing. I mean, he really is one of the best hosts that, uh, you know, to me, it's like him and Mark Summers are neck and neck for the best hosts that they have. Uh, you know, and Mark Summers was like Mr. Nickelodeon. And then he passed that torch on to Phil Moore. And I think the only reason why Phil Moore, uh, you know, I think he gets a lot of love, but I think one reason is because Nick Arcade is sort of unfortunately dated because of those game shows, uh, yeah. or because of the, because of the games that they play, um, you know, whereas anybody can watch guts or, you know, I mean, legends of the hidden temple going through a maze and getting grabbed by stuff is the same, whether you're doing it, uh, you know, getting grabbed by a weird warrior and pulled into a secret tunnel is the same in the nineties as it is in 2020 or, you know, picking a giant size nose and getting green boogers all over your arms is the same, but that show Nick arcade, because it was game shows that were there at the late eighties, early nineties, it did get dated pretty quick, unfortunately, because yeah, those, those, those games, you know, 
the Sega, Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo, they ruled, but then a few years later, you know, it was on to PlayStation and Xbox, and those games looked prehistoric. So I think that's the only <laughs> reason why that, that show doesn't get the love that it did, because it was an awesome show, and Phil Moore is a freaking crazy good host. But yeah, it just, you know, when you deal with technology, you know, it's like, it's like when you watch shows with cell phones, you know, the moment you, you, a show feels relevant in the moment an old movie, someone pulls out a cell phone, you can tell what year it came out, depending on how big the cell phone is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But 92, it was impressive. And as an 11 yes. year old, I couldn't care less what it looked like. It was video games on TV and I was in heaven. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't go wrong with any type of video game. I I just wish that I had been on there and been able to play at the very end. You know, uh, I can say without any question, Scott was the better gamer than I was uh, growing <laughs> up, and and so I was always calling him to 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 try to get all the cheat codes and uh and uh and so this one was near and dear to our hearts also. Oh, I wish I could have been on there. I would have destroyed Mikey's world. Oh <laughs> and a fun fact they told us that you actually got to do that final thing twice because it is jarring you know you're you're in front of a blue screen and when you move left your character goes right you know because you're you're watching yourself on a monitor and so it's one of those things that they would always try to tell kids this is going to be confusing and people are always be like yeah 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 yeah, i got it i got it because you always think you can do it you know until you get there and then you know you're looking at the monitor and it's like looking in a mirror where when you move left you move right so it was very confusing and odd. So they would let him do it twice. And still, you know, kids just, they didn't want to listen. Like, I got this, I got this, I got this. <laughs> so I think that's why, you know, when you watch it as a kid, you're like, what is wrong with these kids? I could beat, you know, I could, I could get through that final thing so easily when in all actuality, you know, you probably couldn't. Oh, that's awesome. You and Scott probably could. I de most definitely could not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's your number two, gentlemen? So, Number two is a sitcom that came a little bit later uh, in the game, probably uh, not quite at the end of, well, I'd say at the end, wrapping up the, you know, the, what we identified as the orange years, it's my brother and me. sitcom about two brothers Alfie and uh, his younger brother Dee Dee and all of their friends including uh our boy Goo and you know we <laughs> identify this as one of the most uh overlooked sitcoms especially whenever it comes to diversity at the time uh because uh it was you know it was a a, a black family and so it was interesting because uh, it was following up on the success of, you know, uh, series uh, that were mainstream programming like uh, The Cosby Show, uh, Different World. But this was for <clears throat> a younger audience. And so it was really cool to see uh, to see that, uh, you know, 
transformed and put onto the Nickelodeon uh, network. And it was a huge success. And I remember my younger brother loved this show. Absolutely loved it all the time. And uh, I was definitely a big fan of, uh, of, of Alfie. Not so much a, a big fan of Goo, but also one of the things that it did really, it did a lot uh, was they had a ton of celebrity cameos and a lot of people from the NBA, including players like Kendall Gill and Dennis Scott and some other, uh, you know, very um, high profile players in the early 90s. My brother and me also was, I think there's like three shows that come to mind, Doug, Hey Dude, and My Brother and Me. And those shows were just really like sweet, good shows, you know, where the kids were all at the end of the day, they, they maybe had their differences, but they were good. They were good kids. And so, you know, uh, I think Doug and Hey Dude, you know, they, they get their love, but My Brother and Me is sometimes overlooked. Uh, you know, and I think another thing that My Brother and Me had in common with like Hey Dude is they took a lot of classic TV things. You know, we talk about that in the in the in the film about how Hey Dude took a lot of classic tropes from old fifties and sixties TV. You know, I mean, Goo is very much Eddie Haskell. <laughs> you know, he's the he's the the kid that's just horrible when no adults are around. But then when the adults are, I was like, Hi guys, yes ma'am, yes sir. You know, like very very much a suck up. And I just thought that was hilarious. And the fact that Alfie and Dee Dee at the end of the day were cool to each other, I think, helped a lot of us with like younger and older siblings navigate what that relationship should look like. I think that's just a great show. And, and the, the, the creators of that show went on to work on Moesha. So obviously there's a lot of talent there. You know, you can tell that they, that they have the track record to prove it. So yeah, it's a, it's a great well-written and well-acted show that I think just for whatever reason gets overlooked. I'm glad you brought this show up because this was my number one. So I'm going to move this to my number two and, and I'll just kind of fill in where, uh, where I can. This was also one of those first shows that felt like a more hip hop theme, which was kind of cool. And like you said, with the basketball cameos, that was always really cool. I was very surprised researching my brother and me that it only had one season. Right. Because it felt like everybody was watching it at the time. And I was really disappointed to find out there was only 13 episodes. Yeah, I, I can't believe it either because it feels like it was on longer, you know, and it's it's interesting because there are some Nickelodeon shows like, for example, like Pete and Pete felt like it had a long life, but it really only was on for three seasons if you don't count the bumpers. Right. And then uh, I think the Valentine's Day special. But yeah, it was on for such a short period of time. But the show was just really cool. And I, I think you're right. I, I love the I just thought Alfie was just the coolest person, you know, and uh, and I could while I couldn't identify with being cool. I could certainly identify with trying to become cool or trying to emulate the idols that I looked up to, whether it was like haircuts or styles and things like that. And then dealing with parents not being cool with it at all, you know. And that was what Alfie had to deal with all of the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was like, like Scott said, it was very much like leave it to beaver and a lot of these tropes, but it was presented in a, in a more modern uh, storyline. And that felt very real. Isn't it funny too, how many of these shows had smaller runs than you think? Like salute your shorts only had two seasons. The majority of those Nickelodeon shows had two seasons, but they felt yeah. like they had so much more. And I think that shows how amazing all these shows were uh, because they had such a huge impact and the fact that they could play them over and over again and they didn't ever get old. You know, like you said, 
my brother and me had one season. It felt like more like four or five, you know, because the the, the, sh- the writing was so good. You could you could watch reruns and not be like, ah, I know what's I know what's coming up. Eh, this is boring. Yeah, and it also speaks to being just being a child and when you're a kid everything seems bigger or more grand than it actually is true like the childhood home i grew up in was probably a thousand square feet if that and to me it seemed enormous same thing with these shows that we watched over and over and over again when when there were only 13 episodes to watch the other surprising thing that i found about my brother and me is that basically everybody in the main cast for the children they never really did anything else after this yeah and that always kind of surprised me the my brother and me episode that has always stuck with me is the bully yep yeah the, the bully hit me that hit will me. always be with me and yeah and he hit me yeah because he, 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 he it's busted, right <laughs> yeah yep he gets beat up and there's a cool twist at the end of that uh episode too you can find the full thing on youtube i just watched it <laughs> Yeah, I remember that like so much. And my brother, my brother would always say that all the time, would walk around just going, hit me. (laughs) It was a great line. And the delivery from the kid who played uh, D, D.D. was great. It's amazing. I, I, you know, that's crazy that none of those kids went on to do anything else because they're all so talented, you know, particularly, you know, the actor that played Goo. I mean, the comedic timing that that kid has is is amazing and the and the the actress that played their sister i mean that's that's kind of shocking you know that 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 you know it just goes to show hollywood's a random weird place yep it was uh it was very surprising to me as well so that was my number two let's go to your number one underrated (laughs) nick show of all time okay our number one underrated nickelodeon show of all time is Mr. Wizard's World. Newton taught us about gravity. Einstein taught us about time. Now, Mr. Wizard teaches us how to launch the soda bottle, operate a hypnodisc, and blow up two balloons at once with all new experiments. He'll show you how to make clouds, invent codes, run backwards, and explore the wonders of nature. Back up a little fish. It's new tricks, new gizmos, even new sweaters. Mr. Wizard's World, weekdays at 7, 6 central, only on Nickelodeon. Mr. Wizard's World starred Don Herbert, who was Mr. Wizard. He'd had other shows in the past, uh, going back decades before this. He was already prolific as having these uh, science shows for kids. But it was one of Nickelodeon's, uh, you know, it was a very early show in Nickelodeon. And it is part of this orange years that we talk about that were under Jerry Laybourne. And it's kind of an outlier in that, you know, the whole thing is that you know, they didn't want to be so in your face about learning like PBS. You know, PBS is very much they're 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 teaching you things. Nickelodeon was much more sly. You learn a lot, but they wanted to do it more in a hey, we're just talking to you, we're just showing you something cool. Uh and 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 this was a very educational show. And <laughs> when we talked to Scott Webb, who was one of the like uh second in command people there at Nickelodeon, he was responsible for a lot of those bumpers like um Inside Out Boy. And Pete and Pete, he, he was one of the guys that helped Will McRobb and Chris Viscardi uh, create that. Uh, he told us that one reason why, even though Nickelodeon was this very irreverent, kind of in-your-face, kind of dirty, messy thing, the reason why Mr. Wizard fit in was because it was about kids blowing stuff up. You know, and that, that kind of <laughs> gave it that irreverent feel, even though it was all in the name of science. 
Uh, but, you know, it's a show that you can still watch today. Um, kind of like we talked about with Nick Arcade, the only sections that really don't hold up are the technology-based ones where Mr. Wizard will show kids computers. And it's like, listen, and they'll push a button. It's like, hello, Aaron, I am a computer. It's like, wow, you know, back then we were all like, whoa, but now it's kids, that, that doesn't mean anything. Your phone can do way better than that. So that's the only... Those are the only segments that don't really hold up are the uh, are the computer based ones. But, you know, you look at things like uh, Beekman's World and more importantly, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy, all these shows that would come after Mr. Mr. Wizard's World and were definitely influenced by Mr. Wizard's World. So I think that whether it was kids being directly influenced by Mr. Wizard or kids being influenced by people that were (laughs) influenced by Mr. Wizard, like Bill Nye. He definitely was responsible for uh, a lot of kids all over the world uh, getting a passion for for science and uh, and and learning. So I think that makes Mr. Wizard pretty cool. And he also influenced, uh, you know, like the shows like Dinosaurs, which I thought were really awesome. You know, there's like a scene where uh, there's uh, where they basically do Mr. Wizard, uh, and but the the joke is which doesn't happen on Mr. Wizard's world is that he keeps blowing up the little kid. And <laughs> so every time he blows up the kid, you know, the baby Sinclair is like, say it. And like his catchphrase is looks like we're going to need another Timmy. And, and uh, I always thought that was hilarious growing up, but you know, like, you know, Scott was saying he really was like Bill. He was like Bill Nye, the science guy version 1.0. And he is just such a genius and so cool. And like, you know, like you said, Bill Nye meets Mr. Rogers was so cool and so informative. And that just, you know, just didn't exist and made science really fun for kids uh, and talk to them with a level of respect that really is appropriate. Yeah. He wasn't talking down to kids like, Hey kids, do you know what makes this float? Or, you know, he never did any of that. He just really talked to kids like they were peers. And I think that's one reason why he was able to make science cool. You know, like he's like, Hey, check this out. This is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, it, it made you engaged in it. Whereas if someone's like, Hey kids, time to learn about the planets, you know, kids would immediately check out, but he did it in a way that made kids feel like they were involved and like they were equals. And I know I ate that stuff up as a kid. I, 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 all those experiments, I would try to do them at home, sometimes making a huge mess, but I would always try to recreate what I saw on there. The best Nickelodeon shows were those that had people that would speak on a level that kids understood like they were peers. And that actually leads right into my number one, which is kind of a crazy show that I don't think anybody really remembers that I talked to. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Kids Court. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be great if kids had a place where they could solve their problems without adults butting in with their solutions? Go to your room. No dessert. You're grounded. Nickelodeon's got that place. Introducing Kids Court, where kids solve their own problems. I just couldn't live with that guilt. Where no adults tell you what to do. It's none of your business. Where no one ever gets grounded. I didn't do it. Kids Court, where kids are the judge and jury. The only court for you from the only network for you. Starts today on Nickelodeon. Kids Court started in 1988, and it was just like one of these Judge Judy type of shows that you would see now, but it was with kids, and it was kids' issues. So if you were having a problem with your teacher or the classmate in 1988, 
you could write a letter into Nickelodeon and they might pick your story to act out on air. And you'd have two people, you'd have the plaintiff and the defendant. This was the first time that I had ever learned of these legal terms watching this show. And they were actors. They kind of like read the story over and then they would give their side. And as the audience, you would say whether it was fair or unfair, and you would basically sentence the guilty party as the children in the audience. And I always thought it was so cool to not only teach kids about the judicial system, but also do it in a way where it was kids' problems. So it wasn't kids judging, you know, random what ifs. These were actual letters from kids. Things like, I got a bad review on my Romeo and Juliet performance, and and I'm not happy with the fact that they wrote, I had a bad performance. And you as the audience would say, you know, as a 10-year-old, that is fair or that wasn't fair. It, the host of the show is Paul Provenza, who is a comedian. And he, again, just like uh, Mr. Wizard, just like Linda Ellerby, did not talk down to the audience. And, and he felt like a participant, just kind of guiding where the show would go with the kids. And, and I always loved Kids Court. A funny thing about Kids Court, too, like we spoke about, uh, like we spoke about with Mark Wiener, you know, later on voice, voicing, uh, you know, characters on Dora the Explorer. Uh, a lot of the people that were behind Kids Court were Fred Seibert and Alan Goodman, who created the orange logo, who Alan Goodman created the mystery files of Shelby Wu, and another guy named Albie Hecht, who worked on all that. So it's funny, even though this is this very early, early 80s, you know, I think it was like, what, 1988, 1989, uh, you know, a lot earlier than a lot of the other shows people remember. Uh the people behind it were, were the same people that created a lot of the classics. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of love for kids court. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad to hear that we both came up with some really cool underrated picks that people can go check out that maybe didn't get time, didn't get a lot of time in the yeah. documentary. It, it's cool too, that we really didn't have any other than my brother and me, we didn't have a lot of overlap and we didn't, we didn't share our lists with each other. Uh, before this. So I think that's kind of cool that just on our own, we both came up with, you know, two different lists, gave people a lot of different, uh, a lot of different stuff to check out. Yeah. And I think that's a testament to Nickelodeon as a network. So many great shows that, you know, you, you just don't run out of options. You know, I, I think really quickly, the one thing to focus on is that on Kids Court, one of the first child actors that appeared on there was a very young Charlie Sheen who was trying to get a work permit to become a stripper slash um, uh, gymnast. So <laughs> that, that's not true at all, but, but, but I wouldn't put it past him. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, I wouldn't put anything past that uh, that little star, that little star in the sky. <laughs> Wasn't it also like the kids would? However loud you yelled is how they determined the verdict. Wasn't it something like that at the end of Kids Court? It was, and it was called the Judgeometer. The Judgeometer. I think that's cool. How <laughs> you got some? Like obviously they're not talking down to kids. They're they're presenting it. You know somewhat similar obviously not it's not totally accurate of course but they're 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 introducing kids to words like plaintiff and defendant and things like that which is pretty cool but then at the end they do give in to like what kids want to do which is just scream and be loud so it's cool like how they're able to walk that line of being serious and then also being like 
okay, now you can be a kid. What do y'all think? Yay! Guilty! <laughs> yeah, it was it was so fun to learn about the judicial system, which you cannot say about many shows. <laughs> right, yes. Better Call Saul, maybe. Oh, yes, great show. Speaking of great shows, there are tons of great shows that you still have to check out in the Orange Years, the Nickelodeon story. Uh, I have a couple questions just about the documentary in general. You had unprecedented access to all kinds of people. How did this documentary come about? And how are you able to get, <laughs> like, you don't miss out on anybody. Everybody who's anybody from your Nickelodeon years is in this documentary. Well, I was just going to say, you know, Adam and I, we, we, you know, we had written some scripts together in the past. Um, and we really wanted to create a project that we could see to completion, you know, from start to finish, we could make sure that this doesn't get like, you know, shelved somewhere or, you know, we're not waiting around for money or anything like that. We said, let's, let's do a documentary that felt accessible to us. We could do a documentary and it was certainly within our wheelhouse because we had kind of worked on some mini documentaries for other people. So the moment we said, let's do a documentary and Nickelodeon was one idea that kind of kept popping up in our heads. Uh, and after we kind of found out about Geraldine Laybourne and Ann Sweeney and their amazing team of just total out-of-the-box thinkers, that's when we said, okay, this is there's a real story there. It's not just nostalgia. You know, because we, we knew the Nickelodeon thing, 80s and 90s nostalgia, that would bring eyes to the table. But if there wasn't a story there, it wasn't worth doing. And uh, so that's what made us want to do it. And then we just did a crowdfund and we joke around about it. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. We had nobody booked when we did the crowdfund. So we very well could have gotten this money from these people and then had to just give it back if we couldn't book anybody. But yeah, we did. We get a lot of people in this documentary. I mean, there are a lot of people. I don't, you know, are there more people we could have gotten? Sure. You know, people always ask us, who, who would you, if, if, Who'd you miss that you wish you could have gotten? And there's, of course, people that we, we could say if we really had to think about it. But I think we got uh, pretty much all the people you really want to see. We got all the shows that you want to see. We got somebody from those shows. And, um, you know, it was crazy. It was, a, it was a huge task. It was a really fun task. Uh, because, you know, it's not like these people all work together. You know, if, we, if you do a documentary about, you know, Die Hard, you, you, you know, they, they probably know each other somehow, you know. Um, yeah, but but these people, you know, especially people that maybe were like Canadian from you can't do that on television versus, you know, the people that worked on like all that. They don't know each other. They never met. Uh, so we were just getting a hold of people any way that we could. We were sending them if we could find their Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, we would send them a message. If not, we'd hop on IMDb and find their publicist or their manager and say, we'd love to, uh, you know, we'd love to interview this person. But it definitely got easier and easier and easier as we went, you know, for sure. Because once we'd interview a few people, they'd go, oh, you know who you should talk to? My friend Ann Sweeney. Oh, you know who you should – I'm still really good friends with Keenan Thompson. I'll text him and say you guys should do this uh, or say that he should, you know, do this for you guys. So once we got like the first five, six people, it got progressively easier and easier and easier. Yeah, and it takes a lot – it took a lot of work, uh, you know, so credit to our team – for having the ambition and thank you to everybody that helped because uh, they didn't have to, you know, and they very easily could have said, nah, we're going to pass, but it was a definitely a work in progress. And uh, it's a, you know, it's a testament to having that kind of like where there's a will, there's a way attitude because 
that's just the way that it worked. Like Scott did a great job of chronicling exactly how it went. And so it wasn't as if we just had this, you know, like basically database of all the Nickelodeon stars. And we were just like, <laughs> we'll just set them up and then we'll just call and or we'll go meet and interview every single one of them. Uh, it took a lot of work. And but eventually it got easier and easier. And uh, we just were very lucky. It's a hell of a lineup. I, I couldn't pick out anybody who I was thinking, well, they missed that person. Everybody that I watched was definitely featured. Speaking of, we talked earlier about being an editor and having to cut stuff out. Are there any scenes that you had to cut out or any segments that you had to cut out that if there was like a Blu-ray release that might make the extras? Yeah, of course. You know, of course. You know, we're making a 90-minute documentary, uh, roughly 90 minutes, uh, about 20 years. You know, we knew we had to be really clever with our editing and we, we, we had to move at a brisk pace while also, you know, giving things the, the time and attention they deserve. I think, I mean, you know, all of, all of these shows could have their own documentary and it's always our dream to make a docu-series out of this. Uh, if I had to say one thing in particular, uh, there was a section that we had in there that we just, we had to cut uh, that was about Nick at Night. And I thought that was awesome because I think Nick at Night is such a clever thing uh, that they came up with. It shows you how scrappy and punk rock and DIY they were because, you know, originally they had the arts channel that came on at nine o'clock and, and the arts channel left them to go be become A&E. So all of a sudden, almost without any notice at nine o'clock, they just had dead, nothing, nothing at all. And so they had to, what do we do? What do we do? We have no money. <laughs> so they uh, said, let's play these old fifties and sixties shows for the, the parents you know, all of the kids are watching during the day. Let's let their parents watch it at night. And it was all 50 shows, so it was wholesome. So because it, Nickelodeon was a kid's channel, nothing really violated that integrity of it still being wholesome. So I just think that's genius. And I, and I love Nick at Night. And I watched Nick at Night as a kid. I've always been a night owl. And even as a kid, I stayed up really late, uh, you know, to my parents' dismay usually. But you know, I, I learned a lot about a lot of old TV shows through Nick at Night, and I love it. I wish we could have included it, but ultimately, it wasn't shows that they were making, and it wasn't really geared towards kids. So, it it it, it, it kind of it it had to get the cut. <laughs> well, that's a shame. I hope that at some point, if there's a physical release, that that makes it on there. I do too. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that I would have liked to. I would have loved to expand more on the relationship some a little bit with behind the scenes about uh, Keenan and Kel, whenever they grew up and got a chance to meet each other again. I thought that that was really cool to hear about. Uh, I mean, they, they were still friends, but they did a reunion on the Jimmy Fallon show. And so that was really cool. And then, you know, there there's obviously a ton of interview footage and promos that we did with a lot of the talent that just, couldn't make it because it just didn't really fit in, in the foundation of what we were, the story that we were trying to tell. But yeah, down the road, uh, I think that in a perfect world, we would be able to maybe do a mini series, you know, and uh, because there's so many st more stories to tell. And then there, you know, are decades of additional stories that were told right after the orange years on Nickelodeon that deserve their place in the sun as well. Got to do a miniseries episode on uh, My Brother and Me. Yes. If we do, we're going to have to spend 20 minutes of just having people go, hit me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
That's right. Hit me with that episode. <laughs> Adam and I just had a blast making this. You know, this documentary, I think in, in the times that we live in where everything is so uncertain and it's so easy to be cynical, you know, we we really are proud of this film that we made. And it is just, it's, it's if you just want to have a good time and learn a lot about the people that basically shaped your childhood. You know, these people shaped media at large, but also... Your childhood, you know, if you were 80s or 90s kids, there's a lot of people that you you don't know their name and they were so influential. And hopefully after you watch the documentary, you can go, oh, Geraldine Laybourne, thank you so much. Ann Sweeney, Scott Webb, Vanessa Coffey, they did so much for my childhood, you know, because with Mr. Rogers, we know he helped us, but but he was the face, whereas these were the people that were behind the scenes. So this documentary, we think, really lifts up a lot of people that that worked really hard and were really visionaries. Um, and, and we're excited for people to get to learn about them and just, you know, have a good time and, and, and smile for, <laughs> for a little while in these crazy times. So it's been a blessing for us to get to make this film and we're excited to share it with the world. You know, I would just say, uh, if you like the film and you want to share those memories and connections, uh, I would say keep passing it on because that's one of the beautiful things about Nickelodeon is that we all were impacted by it. and that we all have our favorite stories and our favorite memories. And, and so I think that that's one of the best honors is the ability to get to continue to share that story and uh, be part of the Nickelodeon family. So hopefully anyone that watches it, that they enjoy it. And again, like Scott said, that we feel very blessed and honored that we got to tell the story. It is a great film. And like you said, it's just an awesome display of, everything that all that nostalgia that you hold on to from when you were a kid and even if you were born later and those early years of Nickelodeon were not around you, you could still watch this to see where your shows came from or the influence that these shows had on shows that you did grow up with well thanks gentlemen this was really fun to have you on and I enjoyed going back in time and listening or researching all those Nickelodeon shows that I miss as a kid Thank you so much. Yeah, we had a blast. It was fun getting to work on the documentary. It was fun getting to go back and do some research for this about, uh, you know, our favorite underrated Nick shows. Yeah, and it's been awesome being on here. So thank you for having us on Force 5. Listeners, if you want to be a guest on the Force 5 podcast, the only requirement is that you love movies and want to talk about them. So if you have a top five list that you want to cover with me, email me at force5podcast.gmail.com or head to the website force5podcast.com which has a show request form and other Force 5 related stuff. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch The Orange Years, The Nickelodeon Story.